Welcome to Marvel Us Disney. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more interesting divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this on Wednesday, May 29th, 2019, which is just a day after Captain Marvel became available for downloading. The Blu-ray, the DVD isn't available purchase till June 11th. And back when this movie came out in theaters in March, we talked an awful lot about, you know, what was happening over our Rotten Tomatoes and all that. The trolls that were trying to artificially drive down the audience rating for this film out ahead of it. Rotten Tomatoes actually changed how the audience participation thing now works over that website. But if you go on Twitter right now, there is still a, a lot of men. Well, all right, not a lot of men. A certain subset of guys who are still very upset about this movie, largely because again, it's the the first female superhero, and you gotta wonder, you know, given the new, the news of the past forty eight hours, how many of these guys ran back into their man caves? Because first and foremost, we finally, after all those weeks of talking about it. Black Widow is now officially in production. It's shooting in Norway this week. This film, to keep the looky-loos away, is actually going under the title Blue Bayou. It sounds a lot like Blue Harvest from Star Wars, if you ask me, but that's cool. No, no that same thing, same thing. You know, that Happy to see that this is in production. Downside is, if this thing's going to be out in theaters for May 1st, and that's the, the open slot, they have 48 weeks, Aaron, to get a finished film done. Yeah, but I also assume that a Black Widow is not going to be the most CG-dependent because she's more of a martial artist, fist-in-your-face kind of girl instead of mm. uh, super ion beams out the hands a la Captain Marvel. So mm. I, I think a lot is going to be more about Stunt work, story, and uh, maybe a couple of car chases because some reason you got to have those. And it seems like all action movies, I could pass on a car chase and just okay. go with something extra killer in the story. But yeah, I don't see uh, her dealing with an alien threat by herself. So I think this will be more kind of like a Bond thing again okay. or some okay. sort of spy vein. Well, uh, speaking of a fist in your face girl, just within the past 48 hours, we finally got a date when the final season of uh, Jessica Jones is going to start streaming over at Netflix. Hooray for finally getting a date. Yeah, but even so, it's just, it's sad that this is third and final season, 13 episodes. They all start being available for streaming on uh, Friday, June 14th, which is the weekend after X-Men Dark Phoenix arrives in theaters. I don't know if you were following the Game of Thrones finale, but how would you like to be the guy at Fox who, you know, way back when, when they started working on the Dark Phoenix film, you know, how would you like to be the guy who, who came up with the idea of casting Sophie uh, Turner, you know, who obviously played Sansa Stark on, you know, all eight seasons of that HBO series? It almost makes me think that they pushed back the movie one extra time just so it could coincide with the finale. I, I have to admit, I'm wondering that now, but the fact that this is the first Marvel project hitting after Endgame, and by the way, we, again, uh, not to belabor the b box office talk, which we've done a lot, 
Endgame is up to 2.6 billion at this point, which puts it within $100 million of the all-time worldwide box office winner, which of course is James Cameron's Avatar. But to listen to people talk about the Endgame Corona effect, and have you heard about what's been going on over at Fandango now, the the, the premium uh, streaming service? Yeah, all of the other Marvel titles have risen to the top as uh, the, everyone's going back to rewatch everything. And the same thing is true on Apple TV after Endgame came out. All mm-hmm. of a sudden, all of the other MCU movies started filtering to the top of the most purchased list, beating out stuff that came out like a week ago. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's it's happening. And I mean, I even purchased Captain Marvel at midnight Monday, switching into Tuesday and watched it till two o'clock in the morning and all the bonus features and all that. Because, yeah, I'm I'm one of those fans. That, so I got to have it. Got to have it. Got It's a complete collection. Got to have it all. Well, talking back to the the box office thing and games creeping up on Avatar at this point, it's interesting coming out of Lightstorm. Yeah, we're only $100 million apart, but remember, our movie came out in 2009, and if you were to adjust for inflation, because ticket prices back in 2009 are much lower than they were in 2019, if you would adjust for inflation, Avatar actually sold $3.2 billion worth of tickets back then, and my problem with opening this Pandora's box is that if, if you start playing that game, Avatar actually stops being the number one worldwide box office hit of all time because 10 years before Avatar came out, that Titanic came out. And again, adjusted for inflation, that sold $3.4 billion worth of tickets worldwide. And then you have to kind of acknowledge the films that came before that. and Earlier in the decades, like in the 20s? The stat that they have now for ticket sales... The all-time bestseller for ticket sales is Gone with the Wind. And if you adjust the ticket, and that was back in the day when you were paying a quarter for a premium seat at a movie theater. (laughs) Back in my day, it was a single straw penny. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) There we go. Uh, But again, if you you make the adjustment there, that's that's $3.8 billion that Gone with the Wind made. And as you mentioned, if you get into the 20s, I feel like it's a mistake to head down this road. And speaking of things that people probably have sh- shouldn't have done, you and I, back in March of last year, were talking about Stanley's manager. You know, there were all those uh, stories bubbling up about elder abuse. And, well, this past weekend, with the help of the Scottsdale and Phoenix, Arizona Police Departments, uh, he was taken into custody. And I guess he's being extradited back to California. The It's the Los Angeles county district attorney's office that's that's handling this and he's facing one felony count of false imprisonment of an elder by use of fraud and deceit three felony counts of grand theft from an elder of more than 950 dollars and one misdemeanor count of elder abuse of knowingly and willfully inflicting mental suffering on a victim i'm happy and i think the both of us are happy to see this going forward because it will discourage similar behavior but the folks at disney they'd really prefer that this be handled quietly because there are some questions to the effect of if this was going on and stan was doing all of these cameos and he was coming to premieres and this sort of thing shouldn't you have noticed this right shouldn't somebody at marvel studios or disney have 
stepped up and said something? Yeah, but the the still discouraging portion of the story is the stuff that goes unsaid. For example, mm. Stan was dealing this while he was alive. It is now how long past his passing that mm. justice is finally coming about. And he's a very famous person who had lots and lots of money and lots of power and lots of people surrounding him, uh, friends and colleagues, like you said, the Disney Corporation and all that. What about all the people who are just poor old people in an old folks home that are too mm -hmm. insignificant in this world to be noticed by the media? You know, I mean, it happens every single day to thousands of people, I'm sure. And it's mm -hmm. not just, you know, hooray that there's victory for Stan's side, but it's still about elder abuse. And what are we going to do about this as an actual problem? And it's mm -hmm. not just justice for Stan, although we encourage and hope for that. It's also, please at least shine a light on this is still a problem in our country. And we still need, out of you know, we have so many, many problems. This is another one that needs to be looked at with serious examination of what's happening with health care in our old age. That's, oh, those are all excellent points. Thank you for bringing those up. And speaking of, of shining a spotlight, though, I, I just feel like I want to say something upbeat about Stan something. And so, and just today, actually, that that story bubbled up because Stan, right up until the end, was creating things and God help him, a, a concept for a show that Stan came up with. The title of this thing is Super, Superhero Kindergarten. Okay. <laughs> it's actually going to production. Not only that, one of the partners here, uh, Pow Entertainment, that's uh, Stan's post- Marvel uh, company, and they came together with Genius Brand International and Oak Productions. Now, that's Arnold Schwarzenegger's personal production company, and Arnold is going to be voicing the lead character in this animated series. He's going to be playing Arnold Armstrong, who's uh, an ordinary gym teacher who ends up uh, becoming a, a superhero, Captain Courage. And then has to mentor a bunch of, of little kids who also begin to acquire superpowers. I'm really hoping that he goes over the top with his performance. <laughs> I hope so, too. I, you know, just think about you know, the number of times we've seen people do Arnold impressions, you know, or whether it's, you know, Robin Williams in Aladdin and to finally have Arnold actually doing a, a, you know, a voice for animation. That'll be great. Yeah. Speaking of, of, of uh, series for television folk, uh, when Aaron and I get back from a commercial break, we're going to bring you up to speed about what we've been watching lately, as well as share some Marvel-related news in regard to Disney+. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 
last week, literally in passing, I mentioned that I had been sent a link to a review copy of Good Omens. And then, Aaron, you kind of lost your mind. I did. It was I did. like, this is a show that you, or a book that you'd really, really loved. And this yeah. had really been, you know, a, a project you had again, had been, you know, watching come over the horizon or really <laughs> looking forward to. So I deferred, folks. It was like, I, you know, well, I, I've only managed to watch two episodes, but here's the link and why don't you take a look at it and... You watched the entire six episodes that night. I mean, we just finished recording the show, and then you were telling me you were up till four in the morning watching the show? Yeah, and it was worth every second. I was so happy. I, I was elated. I was on cloud nine when it got done. It was so wonderful. I actually spoke to a friend of mine, Philip, and mm-hmm. he says he's on his sixth copy of the Book of Good Omens because he's mm-hmm. read it so many times. And it's uh, wow. I think his wife has destroyed it as well from mm-hmm. rereads and whatnot. It's just hysterically funny. If anyone is a fan of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you should start mm-hmm. immediately by watching it with that kind of vibe in mind. Mm-hmm. Because they've got uh, Frances McDermott playing the voice of God. And she mm-hmm. narrates a lot of things that happen about the history of the universe and things about angels and demons, but they have these silly little animations that kind of go along with it. And it's Mm -hmm. so exactly 100% like the narration from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's so cheeky. It's absolutely brilliant. This is a six-part series based on the Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett book, right? Yes. It's been produced by Amazon Video in association with BBC Two. Mm -hmm. For those of you who know... Doctor Who, or for that matter, uh, Jessica Jones. David Tennant plays, what, Crowley the Demon? Yes. Michael Sheehan plays Zarephel. And so the overall plot is that the uh, the Antichrist is being delivered, mm-hmm. and there's a baby swap. They've got to get rid of a, a normal baby and swap it for the evil baby. And mm-hmm. the chattering nuns, they mix up the swap. And so the Antichrist does not go home with the appropriate family. And so as the story progresses, it's on the 11th birthday of the Antichrist that starts the end of the world. And so the the demon and the angel have to conspire together to trick both heaven and hell to stop the end of the world because they've they've been here since the beginning of time and they've come to rather enjoy themselves quite a bit over the years. And uh, so that's the nugget of, of what thrusts the story forward. And then the rest is just very, very bizarre off-the-wall humor. It's very British humor. I mean, if you got a vibe for Monty Python and you just like the obscure, you get plenty of just crazy, crazy things that happen. I mean, one thing that happens in the book is the demon, part of his torture on Earth is no matter what car he gets into, it always plays Queen's Greatest Hits at full volume. That's part of his punishment. And they do that throughout a good majority of the show is almost every time they show him in a car, it's blaring some song from Queen's Greatest Hits. So, I mean, just really odd bits of torture. I love how it takes things like the the Four Horsemen and updates them. I mean, for example, what is it? Pestilence had to retire because penicillin was invented, right? (laughs) Right, yeah. So we got uh, uh, Pollution. Is the new there we one. go right yeah. now? There's no. one scene in the book that's not in the show, but it was it was mm. like I, I've since I've talked about the show to a number of people, they always bring up one specific thing out of the book. 
Mm-hmm. In the book, the four horsemen are riding on motorcycles, and they happen mm-hmm. across a motorcycle gang, and mm-hmm. they decide, oh, wouldn't it be cool to join the four horsemen of the apocalypse for the end of the world? Let's go ride with them. And as they're riding down the highway one day, one of the bikers says to one of the other bikers, hey, if these guys are in the book of Revelations, how come we're not mentioned? And that's when a wall of fish appears in front of them and kills all the bikers Except for the four horsemen. And that's why they're not mentioned in the book of Revelations. And it's just really absurd humor like that, where everyone's like, was there a wall of fish where all the bikers died? And it's like, no, they left that out. But everything else is pretty much in there. And it's just genius. Neil Gaiman's a fantastic writer. I mean, a lot of his stories kind of hinge on fantasy elements. And he likes telling stories about gods. For example, there's he's also got a show out right now called American Gods, which was about how as people immigrated to America, they brought their gods with them, but they're not as powerful back in the homeland. So it's like kind of a war of the old gods trying to get their strength back. And so, yeah, Neil Gaiman writes a lot of fantasy type stuff, and this is right in in his wheelhouse. And uh, the other thing that I really love about this show is it is only six episodes. American mm-hmm. Gods could have been done in two seasons. I think they're going to go for three if they can. And mm-hmm. it doesn't need it. It would be a much better show, I think, if they made it much tighter and cut it down a little bit. Whereas this one, it is extremely tight where you're almost left wanting for a little bit more. But it is very, very satisfying to get a full story in one chunk and not have to wait 11 months for part two. There it's a go. good thing all in one bite size, six hour dose. Well, if if you can't wait to, to try Good Omens, it starts this week on uh, May 31st. It becomes available for streaming then. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I love for the Disney Marvel Venn diagram. I'm, I'm Michael Sheen, for example, those of you who, the five people actually went to theaters to see Tron Legacy. He played Caster, the, the owner of the End of the Line Club. Uh, likewise voiced the White Rabbit and Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. And, of course, David Tennant was the Tenth Doctor, as well as the Purple Man in, in Jessica Jones, the Netflix Marvel series. And while we're talking Marvel series for television, some new news is out about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We now have uh, when we can expect that to be available for streaming. They've announced that Falcon and the Winter Soldier will be available starting in August of 2020. So far, Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Shaw will be reprising uh, their roles from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, playing the, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier respectively. Daniel Bruhl will be back. He played Zemo Yep. in uh, Civil War. Yeah, Civil War. Uh, likewise, uh, Emily Van Camp, who played S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Sharon Carter, who, uh, let's remember, was Peggy Carter's niece. She'll also be back. What we saw at the end of Endgame, Aaron, when Steve Rogers handed off his Captain American S.H.I.E.L.D. to Sam Wilson, this factors into the show. This will be part of the storyline. I'd be surprised if it didn't. When you look at uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And, and how that wanted to do this, They've definitely committed to the notion that what happens on the shows uh, or what happens in the films will be reflected in the shows. And likewise, what happens in the shows will be reflected in the films. In fact, just this week, Mary Levanos, she's the producer of Captain Marvel. And obviously, she's out doing publicity this week for, you know, they get ready for the digital download and the Blu-ray and, and the DVD hitting store shelves. And the folks at comicbook.com asked her about what's in the works because they, they knew that she was going to be producing the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. 
She said that the limited series that Marvel Studios are producing for Disney Plus will, and this is a direct quote, they will directly affect the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in some very real ways. That's what makes the opportunity to segue into the streaming space so attractive for us at Marvel Studios. There's part of me that kind of, I don't want to say dreads it, but they were very, very adamant that they were going to do this with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when that first started. And -hmm. it was like Thor Ragnarok came out and we got like an episode and a half that had, hey, look, debris from the Thor movie. And Mm -hmm. then it moved on and it never really seemed all that connected. I mean, there were times where they dipped their toes back into the MCU to remind us that we're still in that pool. But overall, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. never factored into the MCU. I mean, you know, we had... Well, we had Fury, but that was really about it, you know? And then we had the director who betrayed us in Civil War, but you know, again, that was about it. Everybody else was Hail Hydra. And yeah. S.H.I.E.L.D. just kind of disappeared in the background. So, and the other idea is if all of these guys' movie contracts are up and now they're mm-hmm. over into streaming, what's it going to take financially to bring them back into a movie for something? Like a bazillion dollars? Or are they going to, I mean, that's the hard part is can they just merrily cross over back into film once they've been designated to streaming for a while because there's a cost involved with... Yeah, I mean, I, the interesting thing is that the number of, of folks who've gone into streaming do talk about it is a, a very different financial model. But on the other hand, you're not waiting for people to get in line, buy a ticket, and some people may see it weekend three or weekend four or you know that sort of thing. With, with streaming, sometimes the entire audience shows up in the, the first 48 hours. And you know there's this ridiculous wall of money you suddenly recover everything immediately yeah but we're about to have a very serious problem with streaming there are only so many bills the american household can handle right now in in a financial sense no no you are you are correct you are are very, very correct you've got apple coming out with their streaming service you've got disney plus with all of that ooey gooey goodness you've got netflix you've got hulu Uh, And a dozen others, you know, I think there was uh, Time Warner was or there was like another company that was like, hey, we're going to remove all of our stuff that's currently streaming elsewhere, put it behind our own paywall. And now if you want to see Star Trek, you've got to give CBS, let's see, Twilight Zone is there as well. So if you want to watch, you know, those, you got to pay for that bill. And it's like now I'm paying $20 a month for CBS. What the hell happened to life? Where I'm paying for CBS, period. I get what you're saying. And I don't know, as a longtime Star Trek The Next Generation fan, I've kind of resigned myself. I mean, I watched the first season of Star Trek Discovery, and Nancy and I never quite got around to to seeing season two. But with the Picard show looming, it's like, okay, take my money. And we like season two very, very much. Because it starts off frame one with Captain Pike, and and he's just he makes oh by the way Captain Pike is the guy who played uh, was it Black Bolt yes on, yes you know and in fact it's a, it's, see this is the thing I'm trying to trick Nancy into getting it now here's here's the thing I about can't that say that out loud I so. I really did not like him when he was on Inhumans and part of the mm-hmm. reason is dude couldn't talk he never got to there utter a go. word because that's his Thanks. thing so it's really hard to get to like someone when you can't talk to him and I don't read sign language so well so I mean we had a communications barrier but as Pike on Star Trek Discovery. He is 100% pure badass, and I love him. He's a great actor, and I, uh, man, I want to give the dude a hug. He did such a fantastic job as Pike on season two. But anyway, back to the story. Okay. Go ahead. Damn it, damn it, damn it. Now I got to watch it. Yeah, he's good. Okay. Getting back to Miss Levinos now, 
In addition to doing the Falcon and the Winter Soldier series for Disney+, Plus, she's also co-producing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. We're about to get into some spoilers for Volume 3. There's a gentleman called Roger Wardell. He has a, a Twitter account that back in December he was absolutely dead on in regard to a number of things for Avengers Endgame. And he's evidently gotten uh, his hand on a preliminary copy of the screenplay for the third Guardians film. The stuff he's put out there... I've been talking with folks at the studio, and it's like, oh, shucks. He's right. <laughs> you know. So, Aaron, how are we going to handle this? We're going to do... If you want to avoid the spoilers, just jump ahead five solid minutes. We're just going to concentrate on two characters. That way we don't spoil the whole story for Guardians 3. But one of the things you're going to learn about is Rocket's backstory. Rocket, as it turns out, or at least for the, the film that's being prepped, was created by the High Evolutionary. This is a villain who evidently was mentioned in the Mighty Thor issue number 133, a Marvel comic that was published back in October of 1966. And given that when last we saw Thor in his somewhat paunchy physique, uh, he was on the Benatar with, with the what remains of the Guardian. So... I guess it kind of makes sense that the big bad for Volume 3 would turn out to be someone from the world of Thor. If Thor is actually part of the new Guardians movie. I still don't know if that's actually going to happen. I mean, it looks like they were leading in that direction, but I also think that Thor 4 has been floated around and it's like, well... James already had a, a script written, so is it that he already included Thor because he knew what was going to happen at the end of Endgame, or would they be writing Thor in? And if they're floating a Thor 4 idea out there, then that makes me think that Thor may not be as involved in Guardians 3 at the moment as we believe he is. And now, well, the interesting heard... thing is that, that Chris Hemsworth is out doing press for the new Men in Black movie. He's very upfront about wanting to do a Thor 4. He actually fought when a number of the executives at, at Disney were kind of looked at the letting himself go version of Thor. And it's like, eh, I don't know if we want to do that. And he's like, no, 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 no. This is this is a good idea. This is a good twist for the character. We, we should do this. Yeah. So I think you're right. I think I don't know if they could have that character sort of surrender or you know, step back and be a member of the ensemble, so to speak. There's that. And then I think Gunn also had lamented before, I don't know if it was before he came back or slightly mm. after he came back, that he wanted to wrap up the story of Rocket, that he had That's it, opened exactly. it. That's it. In fact, I've, I've got the quote that backs up this next part of the story, that, that Rocket's actually supposed to have a love interest oh. in this movie. It turns out in the comics... There's a sentient otter called Lyell. Okay. <laughs> uh, turns out she's she's Rocket's soulmate. She not only that, she's an heiress to a vast fortune that her family made toy making. So, um, and to back up what you just said, when James Gunn was doing an interview with Deadline.com, and they asked him what was the worst part about when Disney let you go, and he said was the fact that he wasn't going to be able to wrap up Rocket's story the way he'd originally planned. And here's the quote. I relate to Rocket and I feel compassion uh, for Rocket, but I also feel that his story has not been completed. 
He had an arc that started with the first movie, continued in the second, and goes through Infinity War and Endgame, and I was set to really finish that arc in Guardians 3. So I think, you know, when you you take what Gunn just, you know, or Gunn sent to Deadline.com and, you know, that he discovers, you know, who his maker was, and not only that, that he finds someone who can love him for what he is— that's a great idea. That's a great story idea. Yeah, but it's very, it's very, very focused on Rocket, and you've already got so many Guardians already on the ship, and I just don't think there's enough room for a Thor in that story there. You may be right, especially given you know the arc that supposedly Drax is going to have. And now remember, from the original Guardians of the Galaxy, Drax's tragic backstory. He had vowed to personally kill Ronan the Accuser, because it's a direct quote of, of what the character told Gamora in the first Guardians film. Ronan murdered my wife Hovat and my daughter Camaria. They slaughtered them where they stood and he laughed. Well, supposedly for, for Guardians Volume 3, Drax is in for a big surprise because, again, according to this Roger Wardell guy, and again, based on what folks have been telling me from the studio, his daughter Camaria is reportedly alive. I've deliberately not mentioned what's going on with Star-Lord and Gamora and their whole thing because I don't want to spoil the entire film. But I'm fascinated by what they've set up for these two characters who, who you know, have been with us since, you know, the very first Guardians film. So I think that puts us in five minutes. So, hey, moving on to other movies that haven't gone before cameras yet let's talk about shang chi the first marvel cinematic universe film that's supposed to be built around an asian superhero that is supposed to start shooting in australia this fall and they're starting to cast up Crichton's out there right now trying to cast two key roles in the movie one of them is supposed to be a wise old statesman who is a leader of his people According to Marvel, they're looking for an Asian actor between the ages of 40 and 60 to fill this role. And the other part is a female role. It's one of the leader's most skilled warriors. They're looking for an Asian actress in her 30s and 40s. And by the way, the way this works out, Shang-Chi is supposed to be, and Guardians are both being released in 2021. Uh, Shang-Chi is supposed to be in the February 12th, 2021 release slot, whereas Guardians Volume 3 is um, May 7th of that year. And you know what else is going to debut in 2021, Aaron? The Spider-Man ride at Disney California Adventure. Is this the one that was dumbed down from the swingy, swingy, fun, fun to the roll around on the ground and shoot stuff at the wall? (laughs) They're building uh, a version of this at Disneyland Paris. They're building a clone. And Disneyland Paris, the resort, is owned by this consortium of bankers. For their shareholders, before they do anything at the parks, they have to be completely upfront. Evidently, in one of the banks, they had not only displays of the artwork of the exterior of the building, they showed the blueprints. Mm. And the blueprints show, literally, it's the same ride mechanism right down to the ride vehicle of Toy Story Midway Mania. I mean, you know, these things send eight people out at a time, you know, four facing to the left, four facing to the right, only instead of pulling a string and shooting balls and rings and plates at screens, you're going to be shooting webs. And what kind of breaks my heart here, Aaron, is, again, it's not just that they dumbed it down and they're not doing the 
the thing that Len found the patent for. It's that this week is the 20th anniversary of the opening of Islands of Adventure at Universal Orlando Resort. And when that park opened, it had the amazing adventures of Spider-Man, which to this day is the very best Spider-Man attraction on the planet. And so here's Disney getting to the party 22, 23 years late, and they're going with the more kid-friendly, based-on-toy story version of this? Yeah, I'm not happy about any of that news. It sounds just horrible. It's like, yeah, you show up to the party late, but not only that, it's like, hey, guys, I brought the Felther water. And it's like, <laughs> what, what are we going to do with that? I don't know. Oh, okay. that I, I We like were going to be doing shots. You know, <laughs> I wanted to do something fun tonight, and you brought yeah. water with bubbles. Okay. Let's find some good Spider-Man in screens news, ignoring the attraction for California Adventure. Have you heard about this system Screen X? Is that the one that shows there? It's, I think, on the walls of the left and the right a little bit. Okay, That's it exactly. You you have 270 degrees of screen. Mm -hmm. And they actually create content that supports the main movie that's on these side screens. Spider-Man Far From Home is going to be the first Sony film that's done in this format. It'll be out on July 2nd in 4,000 theaters. You know, the downside is 21 of those theaters in the United States will feature this 270-degree Scenex, ScreenX format. Downside, Aaron, near as I can figure, none of those screens are near Indianapolis or New Hampshire. Well, bollocks. Nearest one I can find near me, I think, is is down in New York. Yeah, I did. I wanted to try it, but it it is that situation of do I live in a big enough city where a Mm. theater will say, I need a new gimmick to get more people in the door and then spend the money to invest in that type of refurbishment? Because, you know, showing film in 270 degrees probably is not a free uh, Mm -hmm. upgrade when it comes to your theater owner's, you know, budget. They've probably got Mm -hmm. to invest a lot of money to make that gimmick work. And then how many movies are they going to show in that style in that theater? I mean, there's not a a glutton of movies being converted like this as far as I'm aware of. So Uh, One of the reasons Sony was willing to do this was that they did some experimenting with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And I hear that it was particularly, given how graphics-driven that film was, it was spectacular in the ScreenX format. And and to be fair here, this is just the number of theaters as of May 2019. In fact, ScreenX is always adding screens. I mean, at, you know, there are 214 auditoriums in 19 countries around the world, and they just picked up two theaters in, in, or two auditoriums uh, around the country in the past couple of months. So this is starting to walk out to other territories. I, I you know, To be honest, I'm honestly kind of surprised that it, they don't have one in Indianapolis because I just figured, well, that's that's a big market. So I would imagine you know, your area is on the list in much the same way that I'm surprised that Boston doesn't have one. Yeah. It's almost like the uh, Zappo seats back in the 50s or whatever. Oh, God. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. You got to yeah. try something new, get a couple people to try it out and see if it works. And, you know, I have a feeling it, it may not be coming to Indianapolis because you're going to be paying a higher ticket price. I guarantee it. Right. It can't no, be the same no. as a $10 or $15 ticket. You know, I mean, IMAX, IMAX eventually caught on and that was the same hurdle. So 
Well, the one gripe I do have about the whole IMAX thing is a lot of theaters, it's an aspect ratio that they're changing. They're still showing it on a smaller screen. Like, we have a proper IMAX in downtown mm. Indy where it's like a three-story tall screen, and you can't not see action because it envelops your entire field of view. It's so massive. Whereas mm -hmm. we have another theater down the road that has an quote-unquote IMAX screen that is about the same size as any other screen. It's just that the, the aspect ratio is a little bit taller, you mm -hmm. know, but it's still uh, not taking up three stories of, of field of view. So your IMAX definition greatly varies depending on which theater you walk into. I did not know that. Okay. Um, well, duly noted. Although the next time I buy a ticket for IMAX, so is this a real IMAX screen or is this a bed sheet? Yeah, you'll, you know. you'll know because you'll you'll walk into a theater and it will be three stories tall and you'll go, holy <laughs> I've never seen such a wall of wall. You know, I mean, it's just mm. a, massive. And like in Mobile, they had one where it was a dome where the seats reclined and you looked up into mm. a dome shape. The whole ceiling was the projection screen. And that was crazy. But yeah, I mean, real real IMAX is, means like three stories tall. And IMAX in a regular theater is 20% more screen on the top and the bottom. It's where the mm. black bars you'd normally get on your TV. Instead mm. of black bars, you'd actually get video content there. That's the difference between regular aspect ratio and IMAX. Sorry, the last time, and again, I'm dating myself here. The last time I went to a really for real IMAX theater was for The Dark Knight. Because it had those scenes where right. it suddenly went to IMAX for the uh, Shanghai, was it? Or, or Hong Kong, I forget. The well, the Dark Knight, they did also the opening uh, with the Joker in Chicago where they do the bank heist. Actually, I think it was go. all of the there Joker scenes were all done in IMAX specifically. Interesting. I'm sure some of you will get to see this in Screen X, and we'd, we'd love to hear what your take on Far From Home is, and speaking of things that are, you know, that's July uh, 2nd when, when that'll be coming out. Uh, something else to mark on your calendar, though, folks, on Monday, June 10th, E3 will be happening out in L.A. On that particular day, uh, at 6 p.m., they'll be holding the Square Enix Live. As part of that presentation, uh, Square Enix will be unveiling their Marvel Avengers game, which... Uh, Marvel's Avengers being designed for gamers worldwide and will be packed with all the characters, environments, and iconic moments that have thrilled longtime fans of the franchise. Featuring a completely original story, it will introduce a universe gamers can play in for years to come. Aaron, you're far more of a gamer than I am, mm -hmm. and, and you're far more familiar with what the folks at Square Enix are up to or have been up to in the past. What's your take? Square Enix is most famous probably for their Final Fantasy series, which then mm -hmm. later on morphed into uh, Kingdom Hearts as a yep. hybrid of Disney and Final Fantasy. So mm -hmm. some Disney fans may have an acquaintance, a passing casual acquaintance with Final Fantasy without even realizing it. And so the question that I start to come up with is, how are they going to handle battle? Is it going to be like a traditional Final Fantasy game where, you know, the boss has got 10 million hit points and you've got to sit there and slog on them for hours and hours and switch from this ability to that ability? And I mean, some of that kind of fits how the gameplay should go traditionally, but then there's others that like the more action-oriented approach. And uh, the Batman series of games did an excellent job where 
instead of getting a tree of menus like you used to in Final Fantasy games, you just had button combos, and they worked really, really well. They were rather intuitive and fluid and quick to respond. And so you had a game in the Batman scenario where if you pushed a button, Batman was punching a nose. Whereas mm-hmm. in the Final Fantasy scenario, the game would kind of pause. You'd go through a tree and go, do I want to heal my team members or do I want to do my ultimate combo on this guy? But my guys might not survive. And you had like, you know, all day to figure out what your strategy was going to be. And mm-hmm. with today's gaming, I'm expecting that they're going to go with a more fluid, dynamic button masher type scenario instead of a menu of, you know, where the game pauses and you figure out your strategy. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping for the, the more fluid and quick version of the game. But either way, I will be excited to pick it up because there have not been many games that have really struck my fancy in any sort of way. Everything's a shooter nowadays, and I got tired of shooters 10 years ago, so... To be able to jump into the Marvel Universe, I'm very, very thrilled about. And then, if that game specifically doesn't do it for me, coming out a lot sooner is uh, Marvel's Ultimate Alliance number three. And that is a top-down masher for Avengers and X-Men usually uh, cross, but I think they're focusing more on Avengers in this one because they were talking about how they would have costumes that resembled more of the film version of them, as well as alternate costumes that were more comic book in, in look. And uh, either way, I know me and a bunch of my friends are still able to play Marvel's Ultimate Alliance and have a great time because it's it's just fun. It's not a lot of thought. You don't have to figure out any puzzles. You just blow stuff up and punch and kick and have a good time. So a couple of really good Marvel games coming out in the future. I'm definitely going to buy them and play them. Whether I like them, we'll find out when they come out, but I expect I will. Okay, well... We'll definitely have to keep an eyeball on the event that streams on on June 10th yeah. and see what they have to say about this game. Uh, but that'll be something we discuss on a, a, a future episode of, of Marvelous Disney. And we have a number of shows here that you can listen to while you're waiting for that, that episode to arrive. We've got Disney Dish with Len Testo. We've got Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. We've got the uh, Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z. We've got Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse, and we've got our brand new Disney merch podcast, I Want That, with Michelle Valladolid. Head over to iTunes and rate and recommend the show. We'd really appreciate that. It would be helpful if you'd head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. That's what keeps the lights on. Anything else in, in the Marvel Universe that we haven't touched on yet? Or? Yeah, there's a long list. That's what we've got future shows for. okay that's a polite way to say shut up jim we shut down the show so i'm shutting up now and have a good night folks more marvel us disney will be coming soon in the meantime check out one of the other great shows found only on the jim hill media network